I told you last time that we would talk some today about illness. If we have time, we'll get into uh, life-threatening illness also, and maybe some into uh, depression and, and other types of illness. Uh, but I'd like to just talk about health and illness in general, but in a very broad sense. It's necessary that we leave nothing out of our spiritual path. We must, there, a time must come in which we do not reserve little areas of life in which to be miserable. <laughs> and we all do this to a surprising degree. If you'll look over your life, you will see that there are a number of recurring situations in which you set yourself up to be unhappy and you are very faithful to this. But you will not awake to the fact that God is with you until you can do your income tax in peace, until you can do your Christmas shopping in peace, clean your house, take care of your children, or whatever else is necessary for you to do. Balance your checkbook. If there are these little areas of misery, then you simply do not believe that God is with you. You think that God is with you only under special circumstances. So leave nothing out of your spiritual path. Turn nothing upside down. Reverse everything in this one area. And then try to put it all right and commence some holy activity afterwards. Whenever we find ourselves reversing everything that we know, then we can be sure that this is an area that, that deserves concentration. We must look more carefully at what's going on here. Never say to yourself, I must be unhappy today because I didn't get enough sleep, or because this is Monday, or because this is Sunday and so-and-so is going to watch you-know-what. <laughs> Therefore, I must be miserable. Because no truly spiritual person could function with the Dallas Cowboys in the background. <laughs> and of course, this is nonsense. <laughs> so for most people, not feeling well, illness, in whatever degree, is one of those areas in which we think we have to be miserable. Now, let me go over just a few things that we talked about last time before we had the question and answers. It's very good, if you're in a position to do so, to notice how children are sick. Now, of course, this is not true of every single last child, and it's certainly not true of every last age group. But for most young children, if you can be sick the way they're sick, you can be happy even though you're sick. They don't go around asking how long it will last, 
what did they do to bring this about? <laughs> they don't try to find some deep spiritual significance in the little drops of moisture that are coming from their nose, as if this is some signal from on high, a new, a new code from heaven. They simply adapt to the illness and they're sick. This is what we don't allow ourselves to be when we're sick. We don't allow ourselves to be sick. We're trying to rush out of the time, somehow trying to escape it. We're trying to run away from our body. Somehow our body is not supposed to be sick. This shouldn't have happened to us. It is not natural for sickness to be in the first place. And we ask for it. And a thousand other confusing assumptions that we make all at once. And so we panic and we try to get out. In a sense, we try to get out of our body. To get away from our body. To get away from the time of the illness. To get away even from the place of the illness. We force ourselves to go to work when we have no business going to work. And a child doesn't do that. Not every last child, but most children are just, they're just sick. They don't ask when it'll end. They just adapt to it, and they stay in the present. They don't moan and groan, and, and if they have medicine to take, they simply take the medicine. They don't overdose themselves trying to get rid of every last symptom, nor do they say, oh my God, this is a sign of weakness. I can't take that. Get that Pepto-Bismol out of my sight. They don't do that. If the Pepto-Bismol helps, they take a little Pepto-Bismol, or whatever the thing may be. Let's see. Herb tea. <laughs> Acupuncture. Whatever it may be. <laughs> I have a friend who's walking around with, with two uh, needles in her ear. Well, one needle in each ear, mounting to two needles. I don't know what her, <laughs> I don't know what her children think of this, but children, if um, if you tell them this is, you know, this is what you do, then they just do it, and they just accept the fact that it'll help, and it generally ends up helping because they just accept the fact that it'll help. Illness is one of the many things that has been taken out of context. Many, many things have been taken out of context at this particular period. And illness is certainly one of those. And so, it's gotten mixed up with spiritual concepts, such as we choose everything that happens to us. This is, of course, a correct statement of truth. It is an absolute statement of truth that we choose everything that happens to us. But it is of no use whatsoever unless you have reached an extremely advanced stage and you're about to lay aside your body and join your brothers and sisters. Now, if you've reached that state, that, that concept can be of some help to you. But until that time, in all likelihood you will simply look around for what you did wrong. Why does you need to be punished? What mistake did you make? And notice that you cannot condemn yourself without shortly 
ending up condemning other people. The ego cannot stand guilt long. It must shift it about. Like those games we used to play as children, you know, where you'd pass something along in, in a line. This is what the ego must do with guilt. It's too painful, and so it shifts it. Yes, that's true, I chose this, but if it hadn't been for this person I'm living with, I would not have chosen it. Chosen it. Or if it hadn't been for the boss, or if it hadn't been for what so-and-so said, or, or if these people hadn't come in town and stayed too long, or if I hadn't been given the mom and dad I have, or the sister-in-law that surely was the work of the ego. (laughs) We'll give the ego a few pitchforks. It's all right. So as you read your statements of truth, as you listen to them, as you read A Course in Miracles or whatever statement of truth you go to for help, Don't think that every single statement has to be translated into behavior. Because it wasn't meant, it didn't address behavior. It doesn't address the world. It addressed truth. It addressed God. It addressed your home. It does not address where you are not at home. It addresses where you are home. And to try to take a statement that addresses where you are home and apply it to where you are not home can be very, very confusing. So in my experience, the best thing to do when you're sick is simply be sick and not tell yourself that sickness is somehow unnatural. What a ridiculous concept. Just look at this world. Just look at this world and tell yourself that it's not natural to be sick. Look at all the things that we say are natural. All the things that we say are wonderful in which someone must succeed over someone else's failure. In which we must take sides against this person or this party or this candidate or this whatever it may be. And somehow this is wonderful. Or because we have the advantage or the upper hand, or we got the promotion and the others didn't. And this is somehow natural and wonderful and the result of prayer. But sickness is somehow unnatural. In a world that is sick, sickness is natural. In a world that is tired, a little tiredness is natural. In a world of pain, a little pain is natural. So don't torture yourself by expecting too much of yourself. It is far more difficult to live in the world than you yet realize. And so what we want to do is to take these things, like illness and accident and betrayal, and growing old, and fluctuating finances, and styles of body, Did you get caught in the latest change of body style? And this is a horrifying thing. Oh, my God, my body's out of style. (laughs) (laughs) This this happens, people. This is just the way the world goes, you know. In one minute, it's uh, refined facial features are in style. 
so-called refinements. And then, then it's what we need are faces with more character. One minute we're supposed to have uh, curly hair, wavy hair, naturally wavy hair of a uniform color. And then we're supposed to have, no, we're supposed to have straight hair, naturally blonde. And no, 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 overnight we're supposed to be genetically kinky. Uh, and then just wait a few years and it'll change. But everybody's supposed to look this way. You get caught. You're caught because you have to go to your bottle or your hairdresser. Your, not only your bottle, your... <laughs> your peroxide or your perm bottle, that bottle in that sense. <laughs> to look uh, genetically straight-haired or whatever, blonde or whatever the thing is at the latest moment, whatever it may be, it changes, of course, constantly. So to be happy in every area of your life you've got to realize that the world is a loony band. <laughs> and you just sort of lean back and look at it. Realize you don't have to take it all on. You don't have to do every little dance step that is called out. This is not, uh, what is the dance where you go around in circles and the guy calls out things to do? Square dancing. This is not square dancing. Yes, the world calls out. It's always calling out some new step. If you can get to the point where you realize that you can decide for yourself and don't think that the spiritual movement doesn't call out steps too, that it doesn't have its in vogue and out of vogue ways to behave, ways to smile. Someone <laughs> told me recently that he was uh, ministering before a, a group and a uh, woman came up and stood before him and gazed meaningfully in his eyes for a very long time. <laughs> he did not know what to do. He knew this was spiritual. But he, did, <laughs> he simply didn't know what to do. <clears throat> he said, what do you do here? I said, I get out of there as fast as I can. <laughs> But this is just the thing now. This is, you know, we're supposed to look, not blink. It's not spiritual. It's not spiritual to blink. Blinking is of the ego. And especially if you've, if you've had a loss of some kind, then the people, now they come up, they grip you on both shoulders. They look in your eyes. And they've just asked you how you are, and you've said, I'm doing pretty well, I'm doing great. How are you really? <laughs> this is communication. So laugh at it all gently. It's all so harmless. It'll change. Doesn't matter. You can plot your own course among all the ranting, raving bodies. <laughs> Just plot your own course through all of this. It's all right to do that. There are no rules. You need do nothing in the world. There is no prescribed behavior. So choose what you can do 
lovingly and peacefully and gently and kindly and leave nothing out of your spiritual path. Not even illness. Not even your diet. Make your diet part of your way home. The foods you eat. Make the way you care for your children part of your way home. It is part of your way home. So take it in gentle, easy steps and improve it. A little P-A-C-E at a time. Just a little piece. And a little piece and a little piece. Speaking of uh, children, children and illness and so forth, uh, John recently uh, got some... Uh, uh, po- well, we, we call them polywogs, but people call them uh, tadpoles. Tadpoles. And uh, and we watched these change into frogs and so forth. And then when they became came to be frogs, we took them to uh, the Tazuki Pond. And uh, now there are several Tazuki Ponds, so don't be offended about this. I know you have to cross private land, but you don't know who's private land. Uh, and they're very happy there. Uh, and so we we went in to discuss whether or not we could keep these frogs as frogs. Turned out that it ate things that we could not bring ourselves to throw in there alive. Uh, so we turned them loose. Um, but we uh, we got some newts, and we got an albino frog. The albino frog is blacky. The albino <laughs> the albino frog uh, is a voracious eater. He or she sits at the bottom of the underwater, does nothing until it is dinner time. <laughs> You've never seen such a frenzy of activity. <laughs> um, well, a um, a fly wandered in there. We've got a cover, but somehow the fly worked itself in there. And uh, the voracious eater got a hold of the fly. The fly was almost as big as the albino frog. Uh, and uh, John felt called upon to give the whole household a blow-by-blow description. <laughs> now only his leg is hanging out. <laughs> no. Now the newts are very laid back. They, uh, they're definitely more spiritual. They just stare meaningfully ahead, underwater. Water, of course, is spiritual. We have one. It's a Mandarin Chinese uh, newt. Definitely the most advanced. Uh, we named him Egg Carl Young since he's come over here. And then we have just an ordinary newt. We named him Fig Newt. (laughs) But the way uh, Blackie eats reminds me very much of of the way Americans eat. But we'll get to that later. (laughs) Let's first of all just take an overview of what do you do if you're ill. We'll just talk about that in general. 
few little general things. This is not a life-threatening illness necessarily, but just your common variety illnesses. Nothing different, really. You see, that's the whole point. Whenever you run up a new up against a new problem, and you will find, of course, that you're constantly running up against new problems, your ego says you need a new way to deal with it. What you need is the same way to deal with it. If you will deal with it in exactly the same way, then you will deal with it in the quickest and easiest way. So remember that the ego is always singling out something and saying it's different. <gasps> I've fallen in love. What do I do? What do I do? You do exactly the same. Exactly the same. Oh, I'm sick. What do I do? What do I do? You do exactly the same as when you weren't sick. All situations are the same. There's only one thing to do, and that is to walk home to your father, mother, God. To walk into the outstretched arms that are welcoming you, that are standing right before you. To look straight into the face of Christ and look nowhere else and walk gently, keeping your eyes on peace, on love, and walk and walk and walk. And when you stumble, don't delay. Don't lengthen the mistake by dwelling on it. This is the ego. The ego loves to do this. You will make many, many mistakes every day. This you cannot help doing as long as you have an ego. But don't make the additional mistake of dwelling on it and, and staying in it, staying in the mistake frame of mind. Is the mistake real or is your God real? That is the only question. If your God is real and the mistake is not actually real, in the sense that it's eternal, then why stay in it? Why go over it and over it and over it? This, my friends, is simply love of the ego. To go over and over your depression or over and over your, your outburst of anger or whatever it may be, this horrible thing you did or this little slip that you made is to love the ego. It's to stay in it. And what's the point of that? So you do the same thing. You look at the illness. You look at the situation, whatever it may be. In this case, it's an illness. Step number one is almost always pause and look. You bring out your number one tool, awareness. Because you are the light of the world, it is the light of the world that is aware. So you engage yourself your real self, when you are consciously aware. You cannot be consciously aware without engaging what you actually are to some degree. Your strength comes into play to some degree. So begin with awareness. Begin at looking at the problem. The way we usually respond to any new difficulty is to not look at it, but to go out and try to solve it. And to cast about for, for something to do or to just deny it altogether. But you can't solve it. Nor can you deny it if you don't look at it first. Because you do think it's real. 
it would not be a problem for you if you didn't assign some reality to it. By looking at it, you will see it has no reality. It has no strength. It has no meaning. There is no reason for it. But how will you know that if you don't look carefully at it? Above all else, your ego does not want you to look at ego activity of any kind. Of any kind. So no matter what the problem is, begin by calmly and gently looking at it. And then, in the case of illness, what you want, once again, is the same. You're dealing with your body in this instance, so you want to put your body in the most peaceful and comfortable place that you can. You want to get it into the most peaceful and comfortable state that you can. You don't want to fight it. You don't want to whip it into uh, obedience. So there is this, this insanity that we somehow must be tough with everything. And if we're tough enough with it, if we're tough enough with our body, then it will stop whining. That's what we think. We really act this way. The body's whining, and so we get real tough with it. And this is somehow supposed to quieten it. We do the same thing with our children, with our spouse, with our employees, with everything, with our car. Car's not working, so we gun the motor. Ah, <laughs> I'll get it working. So what do you need to do to get your body in the most comfortable place? Because remember, you're simply going to be sick. You're going to be sick as a little child. Is there such thing as healing? Indeed, there is such thing as healing. It is possible to heal the body. But you will not heal the body until you have first mastered the stage of being sick in peace. You cannot skip that stage. You first of all have to learn how to be sick in peace before you will learn how to choose peace instead of illness. It's just that simple. We must take these things in the order that they come. And the reason that we must learn to be peaceful while ill is because we think that the illness has a hold on us, that it's a power. Now, how are you going to heal something that you think has hard reality unless you first see that it has no hard reality? You have to first see that it has no hard reality. So set no time limit on your illness. Do not try to shorten its duration. Unless, of course, there's something simple you can do that shortens its duration. But don't, don't have this mental stance of somehow you have to get through this faster than other people. How many operations have you seen sabotaged by this current state of mind that somehow the person who's just had the operation has to get up on their feet or they have to be active or they have to go back to the office or they have to be using their vocal cords or they have to be whatever the thing is, they have to be using their eye faster than other people so they can go out and talk about this. Where is the spirituality in that? So stay in the present. We give lip service to this concept. 
But that's the time to do it. Why not do it when we're ill? Stay in the present. You cannot breathe underwater. And yet most forms of life can. Does, do you worry about this? Does this? Do you try to somehow overcome this great difficulty? Do you go about doing affirmations and so forth? Fighting this thing? You cannot run as fast as many, many, many things on the face of this earth. But you don't fight that. I'm sure that there is some insect or some animal that has a constant stream of something coming from its nose. And this is just, this is just the way life is. It's not the end of the world. So what do you need to do to be comfortable? Do you need to stay in bed? Stay in bed. Somehow it's not spiritual to stay in bed. Stay in bed. Now is the time to practice gentleness and peace. You must love your body. You must be compassionate. Before you will see that the body is not real, you must first come to treat it with love and tenderness and affection. You cannot escape that first step. You cannot jump from hating the body or worshiping it to the state of seeing that it's, a, it's, it's unreal. You must first care for it. There can be no place where you do not show love. You must show love to this world. You must show love to those you think are your enemies. You must show love to yourself, to your body. This must be done before you will see that you are the child of love, that you are in love, that love made you, that love is your inheritance and your destiny. You must begin with the love. Begin in each place, each instance. Do you need to uh, get someone to help you? Ah, but your ego says, uh, this is a sign of weakness too. Or I don't have the money. Or a thousand other things. Very often people who don't have the money do have the friends or the relatives who would be more than happy to come help you. Why not do something that will help? As I talk, can you feel this resistance to doing something that would actually help? This is the way the ego has set the thing up now. We are somehow not supposed to do what we could do to make ourselves feel better. And so possibly you'll want to take medicine. Like the child, take it in the present. You see, we don't take medicine in the present. Take medicine for the peace of God. Take medicine to increase the peace of the world, to add to the peace of the world. Take medicine to assist the Son of God to awake. You can bring your holy purpose into anything that you do. And if you see that possibly a little medicine might help, then don't think you have departed from your spiritual path. Take it. But take it in the present. Take it for the present. Take it because it allows you to turn to God more easily in the present. This is why you take your medicine. 
or because it will have a long-term effect and this relieves your mind in the present. But most people don't take medicine for that reason. They take it to shorten the course of the medicine so they can get back to their real life. And so they're in this horrible transitional period, dousing themselves with all kinds of things, trying to run away from the situation they're in. Until you stop running away from that very situation, you simply will not awake. It is that simple. Let's talk just a minute about what illness is. What is illness? For most people, illness is your way home. It is one of your ways home. For some people, it is the greatest way home. There are people who will not awaken until they get very, very ill, and then they will turn to God. For most, of course, this is not the case. It's just one of the things of life, one of the facts of life. So ultimately, it's simply an opportunity to see that there is no feeling but the peace of God. There is no substance but the presence of God. There is no state but the state of your oneness with God. It's simply an opportunity to see that. In the world, illness is the cry of the body for rest. It is your body crying for time out. Wait just a minute! That's what the body, that's what the body's saying in any form of illness. Don't be afraid to listen to it. Has Carl Symington already been here? Is he? Well, one of the things you may hear him say is, if you will simply see what it is the illness will give you and give yourself that as you are coming down with it, it's quite likely that you will not become ill. So you simply close your eyes, project into the future what benefits the illness will give you, and give them to yourself right then. It's that, it's that sense that the body is making a request. On the ego level, and of course the body is, of course, part of the ego, but what, what's, what we have done here is we've divided everything up split everything into little compartments. So when we speak of the ego, of course that includes the body. The body is the ego seen. But if we just use that term, that means sort of in essence, the ego in essence. The, on an ego level, illness is a desire to withdraw, to separate. Of course, in miracles says, it is your attempt to separate from me, Jesus speaking. More concretely, it is a desire oftentimes to separate ourselves from the people around us. Now, it's very helpful to see these two functions of illness in the world. What is the purpose of the illness? So we're always looking for some meaning This is a very simple meaning that will cover any illness. The body is asking, except now, we're going to get into life-threatening illnesses, and sometimes these can appear to be different. In essence, they are not different, but since they can appear to be different, please don't 
confuse what I'm saying with life-threatening illnesses. If we have time today, we'll get into a little bit of that. But if you see that, that, you're, that you're sick in some way, then see, is there something you could step back from that you could give your body some relief? This will often help. As you advance, as you reach higher levels of learning, you will see the benefit of rest and of cutting back. Do as little as you can will become a rule of life. Have as little world as possible. Do as little as you possibly can. This doesn't mean you're, you're lazy. Do what is essential to your peace and do as little as you possibly can. Those two things are not contradictory. So this will begin to cover everything in a very gentle way, not in a self-sacrificing way. You'll find, for example, that possibly you'll have more energy if you sleep just a little less. Now, this doesn't you don't want to go to this spiritual extreme kind of business, but oftentimes sleep, for example, acts as a drug. And if you sleep just a little less, you'll find that you have more energy. This is highly personal as to how much that may be. Your little less may be too much for somebody else. You simplify your, your diet. You find yourself eating a little less. Once again, you don't fall into the current insanity about everybody having to look like a broomstick or something. You find that you don't have to have an endless array of foods. You have variety. Of course, you have variety. But you don't have to have as many foods as you once thought you did. You don't have to have as many friends as you once thought you did. People think that there's great safety in huge numbers of friends. If one falls away and you only have a few, you're in big trouble. This is the way the ego looks at it. You'll find you don't have to pay attention to that nonsense. It's not necessary to constantly be expanding our, our circle of friends making new friends, cultivating new relationships. This is an, an idol. It's not necessary to constantly be having more money. You'll eventually see that, that possibly it's not more money you need, but possibly simply to cut down in your expenses. And on and on and on and on. Less world, less world, less world. Simplify. Cut back. Do as little as possible. When you're sick, do as little as possible. What you wish to do is to have nothing but God. You want to withdraw into God and in, in, instead of into isolation. So your ego says, withdraw from those around you. And what you wish to do is to join with those around you, but not physically. So it is a very good spiritual practice that when you are ill, to try to stay mentally connected with those around you, to hold them in your thought, to possibly even see them coming to you and comforting you in some way, to have that guided imagery of your friends. Many people who are in deep grief have been 
lifted out of it by friends coming to them during that period, and they're just overwhelmed by the love that's shown to them. I cannot tell you how many times I've heard people say that. There's outpouring of love at a time of tragedy. Of course, this is not always the case, and there are always exceptions as to who plays this role. But it's, of course, the joining that gives us the power. It is the aloneness and the separation that is the foundation of our weakness. So when you feel connected, you are beginning to be Christ. Christ is oneness, it's wholeness, it's joining. I and my Father are one. It is oneness. Illness on an ego level is a desire to be separate, to withdraw into our own little private hell. So give your body the rest it needs. Cut back drastically on your activities if this would be of help. But mentally, reach out. Join hands with those around you. Stay connected. Do not think of yourself as a burden at the office because you're not there. Do not think that you somehow cursed your family because you can't get up and do these things for them. Bless them. Make yourself a blessing. If someone can be a blessing in a cave in the Himalayas, can't you be a blessing lying flat on your back, rubbing yourself with Vicks Vapor Rub? <laughs> of course you can. Well, we're getting close, so it doesn't look as if I am going to get to uh, life-threatening illnesses. Um, let me just get to it. I'll just say a few things about that. I was going to talk a little bit about prevention, but you know all that stuff, don't you? All right. Now. If illness is thought to be unnatural, just think what a person who's just come down with a life-threatening illness feels in this particular mental climate that we live in. Just think what the parents feel whose child has just developed a tumor or has just been in an automobile accident. If we condemn ourselves for colds and coughs, just think of the temptation to feel guilt in a situation like this. Be a brother, be a sister to everyone. Do not let your mind hold one tiny critical thought of anyone who's just had a tragedy. I can tell you that they feel singled out for special punishment. They don't know why this happened to them. And in the world, indeed, these things seem to make no sense. Of course people are constantly coming up with explanations and trying to draw some correlation as to why people get this and why people get that. But notice the enormous conflict over this attempt. The fact is that most people have no idea why they just got this or why this just happened to their child. And so you, as healers, as teachers of God, as, as dispensapalians, you certainly don't want to add to this. Bless them. See them as innocent. Surround them in light. 
They are innocent. And you do not want to add to this business of somehow they brought this on themselves and, and they're paying for something and uh, God has singled them out and on and on and on. And if you happen to find yourself in that situation, then of course you want to be very careful not to slip into that, that sense of blame, that sense of fear. First the blame, then the fear, then the terror. Because you can't do anything about it, it doesn't seem. There seems to be very little hope. Fear is the brother of illness. It is the great brother of illness. It's the companion and the supporter. And so, above all, you don't want to retreat into your little place of fear in your mind. It is never necessary to do that. It does not matter if the world seems to condemn you on top of your getting this. Does Christ, your brother, condemn you? Of course not. Do the angels and the saints and the teach teachers of heaven condemn you? Of course not. They surround you and they help you. And so, once again, plot your own course. If you wish to die in peace, this is your right to die in peace. You do not have to listen to those who say, at all costs, you must exhaust every possible avenue to heal yourself. My gosh, you can live for seven more years or three more years, or ten more years, or whatever. Just think of all the wonders. You've never seen Switzerland. Get out of that bed. <laughs> Very often, at the beginning, in the beginning stages of a catastrophic illness, accident, injury, whatever it may be, people do see in peace what they wish to do. They do have the sense to sit down once they realize this has happened to them or to their child or to their spouse or whatever. And they do get quiet and they see what they wish to do. But what happens so many times is they then go out and start talking to people about it. Your friends are in the best possible position to confuse you. You must understand this. <laughs> It is very difficult for anyone to pass up an opportunity to sow confusion and doubt and misery. This is just the way we tend to be. We all tend to be this way. This is why we don't want to give advice, because we are probably slipping into the role of confuser, of dumbfounder. <laughs> Or they'll start reading articles. And there's always articles. Notice the, all the articles on this. The little news blurbs of the cure that's just been discovered. It's always a new cure. and It always does it all. Gets rid of the whole thing instantly. And there are 306 people in Vermont that it's done it to. You see. So there's this, build, this, this bewildering array Plot your course. Look at your heart. 
there is something inside you that knows, no matter what your situation, if you're going through a divorce, if you're going through a bankruptcy, if you've just been caught shoplifting, whatever it may be. Well, the people, they're people who caught shoplifting. This is, can be a devastating thing. Because... You know, because we revere the past so much, you are there thereafter a shoplifter for the rest of your life. People look at you. So plot your course. Yes, inform yourself. But inform yourself as an aid to plotting your own course. So if you need to know a little more about your body or you need to do a little research about the illness, fine. It is part of plotting your course and making your own way and uniting your will with the will of God to go to someone if you have great confidence in this person. If there's a doctor or someone that you have great confidence, then that's fine. This is not deserting your heart. This is not not plotting your course. That can be part of it too. You make the decision to go. You make the decision as to how long to stay. You make the decision as to when to leave. So if you wish to try everything that you can think of, everything that you can do in peace, then try everything. If you wish to die in peace, die in peace. If you wish to do some of it, taking everything, and then you say, no, I know there will always be more, more and more hopes, but the time has come now. Then fine. This is your right to do that. Now let me end with a final note on healing. It has been said, and it is true, that whatsoever you wish will come to pass. The ego perverts that statement into whatever you wish along with your ego will come to pass. And as the reading from the Course said, you cannot wish along, the, along with the ego without being in total conflict. And so you do not wish it. You think you wish it. How many things have you thought you liked and now you realize you don't like them? Glance back at your life and see. How many things did you run after at one time and now you realize there was never anything there? You never wanted it in the first place because it wasn't what you thought it was. You thought it was a piece of God and it wasn't. And that's all. It's a very innocent little mistake. If you see that it would serve your way home for you to put this illness behind you your will will be done. If you see that it would serve your purpose not to have migraine headaches or backache or 40 coals a year or fingernails that split, if you see that this would serve your way home, your will will be done because now you are wishing, you are willing along with your father, who the Course says, weeps for you. Weeps for you. 
and says, Come home, dear child. Arise out of this nightmare and know love. And if you see that, your will will be done. How do you see it? You're expecting too much of yourself if you think you can sit down and in one good meditation see it. So you begin working on eliminating the conflict. Doing what you can do overtly is part of that. So if you, know, if you wish no longer to have the migraine headaches or one turbulent love relationship after the other or whatever the thing may be, one job that doesn't work out after the other. Somehow jobs never work out for you. If you realize this is keeping you from walking home, this is setting you back over and over again, you make a little progress, and then this dynamic raises its head one more time. Simply begin doing things that might help a little, and you will begin eliminating the conflict. So anything you think of to do, if you can do it in peace, do it. And you've lessened your internal conflict over whether or not you wish this. If you see any way to eliminate ego involvement in the outcome, do it. Because this will eliminate conflict. So you might decide very early that you are not going to go around telling everybody that you got through this illness so much faster, or you did this, or you did that, because now you've brought your ego in, and now you're wishing for the wrong reason. Even though this is hindering your spiritual progress, you're wishing for it to go away out of ego reasons. And so you're not wishing along with your father, mother, God. Sit down, whatever the problem is, each day, one time, two times, three times. And look at your heart and see why you wish this thing to come to pass, whatever the thing may be. And if it is clearly and solely for the reason of your walking home to God, it will come to pass once you are no longer conflicted about it. But you will not go out and talk about this because there was no ego reason for doing it.